the project. Kuwait. Learn. Thank you for joining us again today. We wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the hormonal changes that we we kind of briefed uh, in the last episode. But the reason why I wanted to have you back on to talk a little bit more about that and a little bit more on the sleep and caffeine issues related to food choices. Some of it comes from personal experience living in Kuwait. There was a point where I was drinking about 10 cups of coffee a day. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, you know, start up in the morning, you make yourself a pot of coffee, then all day you're in meetings. The, The social life and entertainment is all around, you know, cafes and coffee shops. And before I knew it, I was at a point where caffeine was just, you know, hardly even making an impact, I felt you know, for know what it's supposed to do. And then just how it also kind of leads to some poor food choices when you when you struggle to sleep, you know, you rely on the caffeine and just what that does. It's just kind of a lifestyle thing that I don't know if it's because of the caffeine that people are up later, but the late nights are very common for a lot of people. They run on like four to five hours of sleep around holiday times that that gets pretty typical just because there's a lot of family obligations, a lot of social obligations. But I think the mentality, especially with a lot of younger clients that I've had in Kuwait is that they think that like, you know, four to five hours of sleep is okay and enough. And then just, you know, all these caffeine options that they have, you know, for social life or, you know, just daily fuel, I think to kind of help combat that is just seems to be the trend. So I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. All this and more in today's episode. So what are your thoughts on it? Those are a lot of thoughts. That yeah. start, so let's start with uh, backtracking off of the, the first episode and a little bit more on like the, we talked about hormonal changes and neurological yeah. changes that happen. So what specifically okay. is happening there? Okay. In the last episode, uh, for people who might be uh, remembering what we talked about, I was asked to come and speak about the addictive nature of some foods, specifically sugar and flowers. And, um, how uh, even when people want to control their amount because they know they're gaining weight or they've got diabetes, they find that they really struggle with food choices, like picking uh, the really super sugary fatty foods over the more healthy choices. And that some of that has been um, engineered to be that way. Like it's it, it works very well for the food companies to make you have those kind of choices because you'll eat more than you normally would and you'll eat the more expensive concoctions that are offered. And part of this is premised on the biology of our, our um, appetite and our satiation, like what satisfies us. Like when somebody says, I'm struggling with food, please, whoever's listening, it is by no means a problem with your willpower. It's got to do with the fact that either you uh, have a vulnerability to specific foods so that it, it, you get caught quicker than somebody else, like somebody who m- might start smoking cigarettes finds that they're a smoker before somebody else who can, you know, recreationally have a cigarette here and there. I don't know if that's an issue in Kuwait, but it certainly is a big issue. What? It's an issue. Definitely in is. Yeah. 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 When I first got out there, there was smoking allowed like in the malls and the hospitals and everything still. I think yeah. that's just been in the last few years where they've they've started to decrease that. Yeah. Um, when we yeah. first opened the fitness facilities, we had people, you know, passing out in the warm-up because they just physically you know, there's just so, it was so hard for them, you know, breathing and everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of people. yeah. Yeah. And some people are more prone to, or more quick to uh, respond to the effects. Just like some people are more quick to gain weight. Some people are more quick to respond to the effects of the addictiveness, but it, it's a body thing. It's a physiological uh, reason that this is happening. And even on the point of view of, I'm going to talk about the addictive natures of food, even if we don't look at the addictive natures, just the amount of sugar and flour and, uh, you know, what we call the glycemic index, how quickly carbohydrates 
break down into sugar so that breads and pasta and those kinds of things become sugar more quickly than vegetables like cauliflower and lettuce and Brussels sprouts. If they become break down more quickly, then they have um, a stronger effect on the body. And so on the body part, it has to do with the insulin. So, uh, you know, the insulin spikes when you're eating a lot of uh, flour and you're eating a lot of uh, sugar. It actually dampens a bit if you add fat to it. But if you add the sugar to it, that it dampens it, but it's still there. Um, That's really important to understand because carbs get demonized a lot, but understanding that there's a big spectrum of, you know, yeah. kind of smarter options or options that are going to give better information to your body, well, yeah. like you're saying. Yeah, I mean, the thing when people talk about carbs, what they really mean when they're demonizing it is they mean the super simple refined carbs. Like, right. uh, like because carbs like... Um, uh, cauliflower and, and like vegetables, basically, mm-hmm. and even grains are, are complex and they take a while to break down. And that gives the body a chance to um, manage this, this big um, sh- sugar load, this big uh, uh, energy load of sugar. And if the body has a chance to deal with it, I mean, it's like, it's like a raging fire. And if the body can handle it, has the time, and it doesn't have to handle it for too long, it can manage it you know, through the insulin. But if it's too much, it just burn, it essentially burns out what we call the insulin receptors and the person becomes insulin resistant. And so now you've got all this fuel in the form of a sh- sugar and you can't do anything with it. You become diabetic. I mean, that's the, that's the sort of layman's definition of diabetes is that you have uh, sugar in the blood that can't get into the cells because you've essentially scorched the receptors, you know, and... Now we have diabetes and uh, the whole obesity uh, that's associated with diabetes. Please, listeners, appreciate that we used to believe, at least in America, that fat made eating fat made you fat, but in fact, it's right. sugar that, and refined sugar, not Brussels sprout sugar. Right, sugar <laughs> makes you fat. And uh, so, so for those people who want to eat plant based, if they're eating complex carbs, it's fine to eat carbs. It really is. It's what we're talking about are the simple and the and the uh, refined carbs. But anyway, when you've got all those refined sugar in the blood that can't get into the cells, that means that I'm going to be tired. It means I'm going to be fatigued. It means I'm going to want more sugar because I want fuel. So there's that aspect of diabetes. And then there's the other aspect, which is what's happening to all that sugar in the blood vessels? Well, it's damaging the body. All of the things that happen with diabetes, but it also gets stored into what we call visceral fat or the obesity that's around the belly. And uh, it's the type of obesity that we worry about that is skyrocketing across the world that's causing what we call metabolic syndrome. I mean, I don't want to get too medical here, but these are all the, the conditions like high blood pressure and high cholesterol and uh, diabetes and heart disease and death eventually, all because of this excess fuel that we weren't able to absorb and has basically damaged our body. So that's the effect of refined sugar on the body. It also has an effect in the brain, got all the sugar in the brain, in the vessels of the brain. Although there's not actually a consensus on this yet, there are enough people talking in the field about how, you know, all this excess sugar in the brain could even cause a condition like uh, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. So that's uh, another, I guess, physical effect of sugar in the brain. But in the... uh, the part that I was asked to speak about when I came uh, a few weeks ago was to talk about the addictive nature of foods. And it also changes that whole neurology in the brain, our motivational neurology, the things that we do to, you know, I do things because essentially it makes me feel good to do things. And uh, 
I eat particular foods. I mean, if you're eating normally, Brussels sprouts and beets and carrots are delicious. If they're prepared in a nice way, they're absolutely delicious. Yeah. You bring out the sugar in them. Like that kind of stuff, that kind of sugar is fine and fruits, all good. And it's absolutely delicious. And that's because it wires up in our uh, neurochemistry in uh, the, uh, what we call the limbic system. Nucleus accumbens is the particular part of the brain that's affected. And it releases, bottom line, it releases a lot of dopamine. Dopamine is good. But the amount of dopamine that I get from roasted carrots is nice. It's nice. It's just it's good. I like it. I, we had a good meal. But Tastes if I good, have yeah. a, a carrot drink with a lot of, well, probably more like uh, some kind of refined sugar. I've taken the sugar out of the carrot or out of the beet or out of the sugar cane. Now it's just the sugar itself, that's far too much for my brain. And it essentially, I'm just going to be uh, simplistic here and say it blasts the dopamine receptors there too. And so that's something to be aware of when like things that are disguised as healthy, like you're thinking like, yeah, this juice is, it's carrots. It's got to be good for me, but it's. Yeah. Well, one of the things when you get more, like when you start to read more and more about this, uh, most of us uh, in the field, uh, you know, we pull our hair out when we see fruit juices and drinks and uh, pops. I mean, it's all sugar. It's just all sugar uh, and none of it is good. And, you know, people always say, does that mean, Dr. Tarman, you can't eat sugar or you can't eat fruit? And of course you can eat fruit, but you eat the fruit in the fruit, you know, with the extracted stuff taken out. It's the same. I know we're going to be talking about caffeine, but I mean, if we ate the caffeine beans or if we ate from where it came from, it probably wouldn't be as damaging as it is. It's the fact that we've taken the stuff out, exploded it into our our body that can't handle that much. It's causing all this damage, devastation, neurological devastation. And in the brain, that's called addiction. And in the uh, body, that's called various conditions like diabetes or heart disease. Right, right. Yeah. You spoke a little bit about. I say it caught my attention when you said the Alzheimer's and, and Parkinson's. Do you guys know exactly like what that link is? I know like sugar it, it definitely has an effect on it, but like, is there, are there other lifestyle factors that make that more susceptible in somebody or is that still too new in the, in the I area? It's still too new. The only thing is like, there's an association with uh, the fact that you have a higher amount of blood sugar um, mm. and the sort of typical findings that you see with those conditions, like with Alzheimer's, you have these uh, neurofibrillary tangles and it just seems that the more amount of sugar that there is in the blood of the person, the more likely they are to have those tangles, which are associated with Alzheimer's. But there are so many other ways that that people have, so many other associations that people have had, like just not reading very much, not even being not very socially engaged. Um, So it's not a direct correlation, but it's enough. But sometimes that can go hand in hand, the social engagement and like feeling, you know, making the poor food choices, maybe feeling a little alone and down on yourself and then straying away from those things. I can see where that's all connected. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so, yeah, so we're still trying to figure out the tangle of that. But, you know, we see it also with Alzheimer's, or pardon me, Parkinson's with the, uh, um, the, the, you know, the d- deficiency of dopamine production. And again, it, there just seems to be like, why is it that when you have this uh, rates of diabetes and these conditions that there's an increase? But, you know, we can't say it's causational at this point. Right. Right. Yeah. So people, so knowing that there's food companies, they're aware that people want to make some healthier choices. So great opportunity for them to make those healthy options, right? The juices, the the bars and all that kind of stuff. So, and a lot of people turn to that for convenience. So I guess like, what are some 
tips or advice that you have for you know, know, like looking for the disguised? You know, it, it, the thing here is, is somebody's trying to, you know, how can you make a profit on this? Like really the bottom line is we just need to eat more real food and uh, less processed food, but there's no money in real food except right. farmers. And basically Good. just try to avoid processed, like the simplest answer here is don't eat processed food. And uh, if you have to eat it very minimally, and, and if you think that you have to ask yourself the question, why do I have to? So mm-hmm. if it's because you're really poor, I mean, you know, a sugary choice is a lot like cereal is a lot cheaper than cheaper. eating, uh, you know, oatmeal and uh, blueberries and yogurt for breakfast. It right. is. I mean, it's, you, have, you have to have a certain amount of a level of income to eat well. And then uh, if you're really busy because you want to maintain that income, if you've got the extra income, I would say hire somebody to cook the real food for you because it's re- it requires a lot of chopping and preparing and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and uh, if I don't have time to do that, I will hire somebody to do that for me or I'll go to the store and I'll buy the stuff that's pre-chopped and pre-prepared. Um, right. Not pre-prepared food, but the, the pre-prepared uh, vegetables that I will then roast or microwave or whatever myself. But the simple solution is if you can afford it, avoid processed food. Processed food is cheap and it's very compelling. You just see it as this is a a product that is benefiting the food industry, not you. And the healthier it is, the more likely it's benefiting you because you're getting closer to your own natural uh, metabolism and the way that your body is meant to eat. That's really key. And it's what's Different in Kuwait is a lot of people actually do have that luxury to where they they do have somebody preparing the food for them. But I think it yeah. just comes down to a little bit more communication and maybe some education there of like, yes. this is yes. what we want to stick to, or this is this is what's best. So if that's the case, then you know you have the choice of making a roasted uh, vegetable dish versus a bread and pasta and uh, full of uh, syrupy food dish, right? Totally. And uh, it, the person who's used to having that second option will be going, oh, who wants the roasted vegetables when I could have this? You know, I'm paying the person to make this. Why not? Just to know that after it only really honestly takes uh, three or four weeks of not eating that stuff to actually really appreciate the first option. And then if you've got somebody to do that, you won't even notice the time change that, you know, how much time it took her to prepare that stuff. You'll just notice that you're not eating the heavier foods anymore. You don't want them anymore. And yeah. lo and behold, six months later, your sugars are better and your cholesterol is better and your weight is down. It actually goes down like, like it's, it's possible. And the good news is, is as long as you keep eating that first option, which you now love, this is the message of hope here. You will love this food. That weight that you're losing because you've switched over to the first one um, is actually going to stay off. It's not going to come back and bounce back, you know, in right. I was say I had a client that kind of wanted to, you know, start dabbling into this, wasn't really sure where to go. And French fries were like a staple at like every meal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the, in the homes and it's being prepared, you know, in home and they're, you yeah. know, fresh fries, yeah. <laughs> we can say, but they're still, yeah. you know, fried. So starting making that transition over to like, you know, baked potato and then slowly, you know, no fries are being served. And it kind of took the rest of the family a little bit of time. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle too, is maybe one yeah. person is into it and the rest of the family is not. And then those temptations are kind of there. And there's that, that little yeah. struggle of how do I get everybody on board with this? Yeah. But, can, but can I tell you, I know I'm speaking to you, the converted yeah. or people who are listening, yeah. that, you know, a French fry, yes, it's delicious. But once you get the taste of that out of your mouth, which is about a, a three or four weeks, 
a crispy uh, cauliflower with some um, oil and onion or something is up or even be just as good. <laughs> like that's delicious. It's way yeah. better than I remember of any French fries. So you're actually moving into a much more um, cook hate, like a heaven for cooks, like yeah. way more options that are just delightful and subtle and delicious. You know, one of the things that's definitely in the American press is like, you're going to be deprived of these foods. Like don't get to eat my, uh, shakes and french fries but you're actually opening up to a whole new realm of um food that actually will taste so much better right right getting creative yeah not enough this is a message if you eat real food again it's a message of um because you're online with your hormones and you're online with your the way your body is meant to be so you're, you're going to be back to the weight that you should be and you're going to be back to having the food tastes that are healthy for you because that's how we're built right we're manipulated out of it because of the external environment. Right. Like the person who's smoking cigarettes, you know, you smoke, eventually you smoke just so that you don't feel bad because you're, you're in a withdrawal and you're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. But when you quit, get past the withdrawal, it's like you get to reclaim the ability to breathe again. Like you're saying, right. it no longer happens and yeah. feel better and all that stuff. Right. Take a little bit of your freedom back. I think yeah. take some of the power away from, from yeah. those things. And um, one of the uh, things that you said earlier on was um, some of the lifestyle stuff that you yourself live, and I guess uh, mm-hmm. other people around you like not be not sleeping enough. I mean, mm-hmm. lack of sleep will promote some of these um, behaviors. I know we're going to talk about coffee shortly, and even cigarettes. It promotes these negative behaviors because lack of sleep is, again, not something the body does well with. And a person may feel they're fine on four or five hours of sleep, but they're compensating by these props of of cigarette and of caffeine. But they're not actually fine. They're on props that are helping them keep them awake. Masking it, yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, they can't enjoy good food because they're already kind of sick. And they need the extra punch, the extra wallop of uh, refined food, again, as a prop to keep going. In order to get through that, yeah. Like an ideal number of sleep or what exactly, I guess, is happening. We know that the lack of sleep is not good for us. But do you yeah. know, like, what's what, what are we not giving the body a chance to process or do, like, after a certain amount of time or within a certain amount of time? Well, okay, so... so um, the ideal amount of sleep really depends on the person. But I mean, people will throw around the number of seven to eight hours of sleep. Some people need nine. Some people can get away with seven. I think anything under seven, you create what we call a sleep debt. And you know, if you're doing six, maybe seven hours a night, you might be able to catch up on the weekend. If you can sleep in, you might be able to catch up on what we call your sleep debt. But if you're doing under that, you're becoming chronically sleep deprived. And Sleep deprivation is in an extreme form is actually a form of torture. Like it's actually physically very stressful. So if you're at four hours of sleep a night or five, that's not torture, but it is stress. And what it's going to do is it's going to make you want to eat more sugar because you need to boost up. The stress itself is doing all sorts of damage. I mean, stress is meant to be this immediate um, help when there's danger, but over the long term, it just erodes the person's, right. uh, it's like somebody's running all the time. They're eventually going to, um, you know, hurt their, their body. That's the thing about stress. I think people get confused about is like the stress itself is an amazing feature that we, that we do need access to. It's what's yeah. kept us alive. It keeps yeah. us adaptable, but yeah. it's the load that you get under Absolutely. that people 
people yeah. struggle to and it's a super differentiate. Big load. Like it makes you gain weight because the body's thinking, wow, I'm under a lot of stress. I better start saving my fuel for all this stress. Exactly. Gain yeah. weight. You get uh, heart disease, like the uh, amount of adrenaline coursing through is it's great in the short term, but it's not meant to be there for that long. It's all protection. Yeah. And then there's another uh, chemical that's sort of like the chronic stress hormone, which is called cortisol. And cortisol, again, in medicine, it's like this an amazing drug that saves people's lives. If you give cortisol, like you inject it in the knee or you... If, you, if you've got a, a super bad rash, it'll make the rash go in. I mean, it's an immune suppressant that can save your life. But if you're basically, when you're not sleeping, it's like you're taking a low dose amount of a stress hormone called prednisone or cortisol, which mm-hmm. is suppressing your immune system, which means that you're going to get colds more often. You potentially could get cancer more quickly, all sorts of things, osteoporosis, yeah. All sorts of things that you don't want to be taking uh, cortisol or prednisone long term. And cortisol is the body's version of prednisone, basically. Um, and if you uh, continue to do that over a long term, you're going to tax the body and basically age yourself much more quickly. So best thing to do is sleep well so that you don't put yourself into that state. Yeah. I think um, where people, you talk about like the sleep debt and I know something for myself too, when I felt the best is not letting myself get through that through the week and then, you know, trying to catch up on the weekends because then I would find it's just like, you kind of waste your whole day for, you know, downtime or maybe to go do the things that you do enjoy. So just trying to keep that routine like daily and even through the weekends, like try to keep yourself on that, that schedule. I think where people feel so sluggish on a Monday is because they've, you know, maybe stayed up later on the weekends and sleeping in longer. And then it's really hard to switch back into, into that, that Sunday, Monday vibe. Yeah. And and if I go now, I want to talk a little bit about some of the uh, brain stuff for sleep. The other two things we know that are really important for sleep besides physical health is emotional health. Like just, um, the ability, you know, you, you hear the term, I'm going to, I'm going to sleep on it. I'm upset, but I'm going to sleep on it. You wake up the next morning and you feel a little bit better because mm-hmm. what's happened is, is in the brain has, while you were sleeping, kind of recalibrated some of the, the negative emotions. Uh, you know, it's, it's through the process of dreaming and through the process of cleaning up debris of random thoughts here and there that somehow mood gets better in the morning. So if you're chronically not sleeping, you're probably chronically grumpy. Right. You're, just right. you're not giving your body a chance to, exactly what I said, like filter. <laughs> Recalibrate back to your yeah. own natural disposition, which might be grumpy anyway, but you're going to be even more. <laughs> right, um, right. And then, and then the other really important thing is, 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 is if I bet you anything that a chronic, a person who's not sleeping well has got a bad memory because mm-hmm. um, sleep is really important for memory consolidation. Alzheimer's, I think that's a big link as well. Yeah. 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 So if you find that you just have a really bad short-term memory, you're probably not sleeping enough because there's actually a hormone, not a hormone, a a protein that's required to make uh, memories more memorable, like long-term memory. And uh, if you're not sleeping, you're not letting that process solidify. Yep. I think there was a book, I can't remember now who wrote it. And I know I talked a little bit about like, I think Teddy Roosevelt was also part of, you know, what she was talking about in it. But basically, um, it was like at one point bragging about, you know, how much work she could get done in a day on only like three or four hours of sleep. Yeah. And I think with all the people that were mentioned that had this kind of lifestyle, all of them had developed Alzheimer's in their old wow, age. Really? And so it's just a, I have to find the name of the book. I'll have to put it in the show notes, but it's just, it is, it's really interesting to... Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that. Is, you know, yeah. is it worth it to be a burst of excitement early on and then you've got this outside? Right. It's slow, steady. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so then, how about the caffeine? We yeah. want to get into, into yeah. the coffee fix. <laughs> yeah. So you had said in your earlier uh, opening comments that you drink 10 cups of coffee coffee a day. And, and uh, it's interesting. You can get, again, caffeine, you know, it comes from tea leaves. It comes from coffee beans. It comes from uh, chocolate. Those are sort of like the three sources. And uh, if you were to keep it within its context, it probably wouldn't be that damaging. But again, you, you take this chemical out of its context and then the alert effect, the, the pleasant effect, because it does have a mood altering effect. It makes you feel yeah. a little happy, happier anyway. But you take that out and then you can, uh, it, it causes the, the same kind of damage, the frying of, re, of receptors and, and uh, overtaxing the system, like all the other stuff that we've talked about. And with caffeine, I think probably like we can see that like one to three cups a day may be okay, especially if it's early in the morning. Because by the way, although the, the peak effect of coffee is within the first hour or two after you've had a coffee, you know, and then you reach for another coffee, you, you probably did. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to maintain, because you're using it as a boost to keep your up, up at the super level that you were living at. But the actual effect of it, the long-term psychodynamic or psychokinetic effect of alcohol, uh, pardon me, of uh, caffeine is anywhere from four to seven hours. So if you've had a coffee at three in the afternoon, because you're still working until five or whatever, right. you're still feeling the impact of that caffeine at 10 and 11 o'clock at night. Just And it sounds like you're saying people are going off for coffee shops then. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like 10 o'clock at night. It's like a nightclub yeah. outside of some coffee shops. I mean, there's lines and it's like a fashion show. It's a, it's a big social scene. Yeah. Is decaf coffee part of that or is that considered? Kind of, kind of looked down upon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least there you could get away with, well, okay, at least I'm having something that has less caffeine. In it. Right. Right. It's totally but, celebrated. Like, and I think just culture in general. And I even see it here in the States of, you know, where coffee is really celebrated of like, you know, don't yeah. talk to me until I've had my coffee or, but first coffee, you know, and yeah. it's, it really just yeah. kind of blows it up. And over there it's, yeah. we just did a talk. This is why this is, I wanted to bring these things up because we just did a talk with um, the American uh, university in Kuwait with the students there. Mm. And Maddie had asked a question of, you know, that student life, you know, kind of going through college and, and was like, you know, how many of you are sleeping, you know, under six hours a night and, yeah you know, drinking a lot of coffee and every single hand in the room went up. So it's like, you know, it's a, it's a problem. And I think at that age too, we think we're just young enough to kind of get through it. And that when school is over, then that'll be over. And um, or don't even know maybe how good we're supposed to feel, you know, after that point. That's the bottom line. You just hit it right there. You don't even know how good you're supposed to feel or how good you actually could feel. Right. We're doing all that stuff because it's like, oh my God, I, I know when I stopped eating sugar, it was like, I couldn't believe how much energy I had because I didn't have the burst of energy every time I put something in my mouth, but I had just general energy living every day. Like it's like, I felt 10 years younger, but who knew? Because I've been living that way all that time. Survival mode. (laughs) Who knew? Like, who knows how how good you might actually feel? But anyway, uh, all that coffee. So if if we think about one to three as being okay for what the body can handle, it might not be okay for you because you're more susceptible. If a person is more anxious, by disposition, probably three is too much. Maybe yeah. one is the mo- or they should go just with tea or something. But anyway, about 10 is considered, now we're getting into the sick, like we're going to get sick. 
not necessarily now, but you know, you're moving into the realm of this is going to give me heart disease or contribute to heart disease, contribute to obesity, contribute to respiratory, like all sorts of other issues. So I guess the the magic number or sweet spot would be probably, uh, you know, to try to stop at 12 in the, at like noon, uh, have your one or two cups and then switch over to something else like tea, which is at least half the amount of caffeine or uh, decaf, which right. is I think, like one tenth the amount. But the kinds of things that can happen and, you know, it's like this is part of the who knew is like it does increase the stress level. And so your uh, central nerve, your adrenaline is up. And therefore, your cortisol is up, but you're used to it. It, it. it artificially enhances mood. It affects dopamine. It also affects serotonin, which is the social neurochemical. So dopamine is a happy, it's exciting, I'm having a good time. And the uh, serotonin is, is, you know, I'm feeling connected and not right. alone. And I've never heard anybody break those two down like that. I like that differentiation between the two because I think we just assume them both as like happy hormones, but it's kind of like, you know, in turn, not touching on the the social side of it. That is important. The way that I like to distinguish those two, because I talk about them a lot with addiction, because essentially addiction is just taking that and enhancing it super big. But I talk about dopamine is the I want. I want to buy. I want to, I want to talk. I want to, I want to do stuff. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to the desire hormone I want. And uh, serotonin is the, I have, I'm good. I'm chill. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And what a great place to have both of them. And caffeine, you a touch of both of them. Uh, Yeah. And plus it gives you, uh, like I said, a boost of adrenaline and then then, uh, overall the the cortisol. Mm -hmm. So it has a mood of altering effect for sure. And, but, you know, you mentioned, as so many people who drink coffee, including myself, mentioned when you get up in the morning, you need that coffee before you can do anything because you're, I don't want to say addict, you become dependent to the need of yeah. it. You become dependent on it. Yeah. 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 Addiction is a little bit more than dependence. It's when you start doing behaviors, feed the dependence, the right. negative behaviors. Right. Start looking for it. Now that's, that's an amazing, amazing breakdown. I think the I don't, for me making that switch, I knew drinking 10 cups a day was not good, yeah. <laughs> obviously. And it took me a while to even realize, cause it's, like I said, you have that one in the morning and then you're at meetings and it's just there and you kind of yeah. don't even think about it after a while and everybody else is doing it. So it yeah. is very social in that way. Yes. Um, but I think it just, it was once I had got out of that work environment as well and started working, um, you know, just kind of for myself. Um, but I was pouring a cup in the morning and my stomach just kind of flipped in a weird way. And it was just like this big signal of like, no, (laughs) like that was the best. I was just like, my stomach just said, no, it was like no more. And so I switched to green tea, which I didn't particularly enjoy at first. But the biggest thing that I found, if I drink a cup of water with lemon and salt, pink salt in the morning, that like, I did not have a need for my coffee anymore because it helps with the digestion, which people sometimes rely on coffee to help them with their digestion as well. Um, but it also kind of gave a little burst of energy. It it helps kickstart, you know, some major systems. So I don't know, do you have any insight on the citrus and pink salt combination? Oh, no, but I like that idea. I I I like the idea of just citrus water, like, like orange or a little bit of lemon or something. And, and salt is a great idea because especially if you're drinking a lot of water to keep the electrolytes up. I love Himalayan salt. If that's what you, if that's what you mean. I like that idea. But yeah. the, the thing that I think is if we can make socially acceptable water, like you have the coffee all the time. It's like the coffee and the donuts are there all the time. Right. People will eat that stuff. But if yep. you don't have it there or you have, like I re, I'm a real fan of carbonated water. You have a little bit of carbonated water 
taste like a treat. It totally. tastes like pop. Yeah. It doesn't taste like, but it has that same feeling. Yeah. And what a great thing to have instead of coffee when you're having your meetings and your gatherings. Yep. Yep. Later on. Yeah, I just had this talk with someone else too. They're like, I hate plain water. And I was like, well, put some, you know, fruit in it or make little fruit cubes and, yeah. and put those in there and flavor it up. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to get creative with it to, yeah. Yeah. to help curb that. So like this. yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else on the caffeine or anything that you, you wanted to um, touch on for the listeners? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I mean, maybe just if somebody is thinking I'd like to stop again it's it there is a withdrawal all of these things because they do give us like they're bursts outside of our norm and so they we respond by wow I like this and then you become dependent on it now when you stop you're gonna have withdrawal and 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 just to know that when you stop that's not life forever that's just life for the next I don't know seven days like just a snapshot (laughs) like caffeine is like the withdrawal is probably at its worst on day two or three and then by day seven it's done right similarly with smoking cigarettes like you know three weeks four weeks later it's done Uh, maybe it takes a few more months to get used to all the social things around it similarly with alcohol like all of these things that devastate society across the world are actually, because uh, I work in addictions, I see this, we have month-long programs because the month is enough for the actual withdrawal. Right. Um, after that, it's living life without that in a society where everyone else is doing it. That's the ticket on how to quit. And that's going to be the same with the uh, caffeine and the sugar. But if we can build small communities, like, you know, I would imagine like this podcast is mm-hmm. trying to do uh, of people who are educated and knowing and committed more and more, there'll be more and more options of places where right. you can go or just mindsets that it's not weird to not drink coffee or not eat sugar. It's just like, oh yeah, you're one of those people. It's like the way we see um, vegetarians in America now. It, um, it's become very acceptable, but still slightly different, but very acceptable and actually becoming now with the whole plant-based movement, more of a norm. More and options. Yeah. Too. Oh, I was just going to say like building a system of support, I think is yes. the most important thing. That's exactly what, you know, this was about too. I think it's stuff that we struggled with at one point or another and just not kind of feeling like we were alone in that, but nobody is. And so if you build that little system of support and you can start to create that social environment, that is actually... And then eventually it become the new norm. That's yeah. my hope. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for coming back, Vera. Thank you. Yay. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.